Hey, you're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles throughout the week. And then we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to episode six of Make and Multiply. My name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls. In this episode, I want to talk about the second habit of discipleship huddles, which is repent and believe. In the last episode, we talked about the first habit, which is hear and obey. That's all about understanding the meaning of scripture and then being transformed by the significance. That's the first habit of discipleship huddles and disciple makers. That's really the essence of the Great Commission. When Jesus commissioned his disciples to make and multiply more disciples, he said, go therefore making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the essence of disciple making and multiplying is teaching people to hear and obey Jesus' words by faith. So hear and obey is the first habit. Repent and believe is the second habit that discipleship huddles practice. Repentance and faith is the response to the gospel, but it's not something we just do once on the day that we are converted. Uh, Repentance and faith in response to the gospel is how we begin the Christian life, but it's also how we continue and make progress in Christ. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, uh, the very first thesis in that list was this. Martin Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. So Luther is saying repentance is not just the first step of the Christian life. Repentance is an ongoing rhythm and habit of the believer. Uh, Think of repentance and faith like breathing, uh, inhaling and exhaling. In repentance, we are exhaling, breathing out. And in faith, we are breathing in the life of the Spirit. Um, You take your first breath at the moment that you're born, but then you go on breathing for the rest of your life. Repentance and faith are like breathing in the Christian life. So the goal of this habit, if we could just sum it up very simply, keep this in mind every time you meet with your discipleship huddle. The goal of repent and believe is that every participant in your huddle experiences renewed faith in Jesus Christ. That's the goal, that each person would leave that gathering with renewed and strengthened and and uh, reinvigorated trust in Jesus um, with specific promises that they're trusting in. Hebrews 3, 12 through 15 is a great summary of what we're aiming at when we practice this habit together. Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So when the author of Hebrews says, take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, the the word you there is actually plural in the Greek. So it's not saying just watch out for your own heart. Obviously, we want to be on guard against an evil, unbelieving heart in us personally. But this is a call to believers to, to be watchful, take care lest there be in anyone among us an evil, unbelieving heart. So in gospel community, 
we want to be exhorting one another. The remedy, the author goes on to say, is exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we don't want to be naive. We realize that sin is deceitful and it has a hardening effect. Sin uh, causes our hearts to, to grow hard, to dry like cement. And so the remedy to that is to belong to gospel community where we are regularly practicing this rhythm, exhorting one another every day, every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of us are, are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The author of Hebrews then says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So we are exhorted in scripture to hold fast to Christ, to go on believing the condition given there is, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we want in our huddles, to be exhorting one another to keep trusting Jesus so that every every participant is experiencing regular renewal of faith in Jesus and we are uh, guarding one another against the deceitfulness of sin that that hardens our hearts. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about what we mean by repent and believe and in future episodes we'll cover this in, in more depth, practical ways to uh, go about this together when you meet but for now, I just want to talk about uh, what does it mean to repent and believe? The, the word repent in Greek is metanoia. It, it literally means to change your mind. Uh, but it's important to know that in Scripture, uh, the Bible regularly and repeatedly uses the word heart to describe really the operational center of our being. And so the change of mind in repentance is not just um, a new idea that comes into our minds, but it's it's a change at the heart level. It's a change of what we believe, a change of what we desire, a change of really what we're worshiping. I think it's Jeff Vanderstelt who says, repentance means changing your God. Repentance means changing who you are worshiping. So at that level, the Bible uses lots of words to talk about the inner person, mind, uh, heart, soul. Repentance is a change on that level. There is another Greek word for a change of feeling. Um, and that word is used when Judas, after he betrays Jesus, feels bad for what he did. Uh, he repented in the sense that he felt bad for it, but he didn't repent with this uh, change of heart. So uh, Romans 10.10 talks about how it is with the heart that a person believes. The heart is the the center of our being, the part of us that exercises faith. Jesus says in Luke 6, 44 and 45, that a tree is known by its fruit and it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. In Mark 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says it's from within, it's out of the heart of man that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things, Jesus says, come from within, from the heart, and they defile a person. So it's out of the heart that uh, our words, our actions, our attitudes flow, and that's where we need to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ through the gospel. So repentance is a change of mind 
it's a change of heart. It's a change of what we're, we're worshiping. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Uh, to repent is to turn away from, and to believe is to turn toward Christ. So you can't turn toward Jesus in faith without turning away from whatever else it is that you are trusting. So it's a change of worship. Think about Jeremiah 2 where God says the great evil that his people committed is that they they forsook him, the fountain of living water, and they dug out empty, broken cisterns that hold no water. So repentance and faith would be to reverse that. It would be forsaking the empty cisterns and returning to the fountain of living water, turning back to Jesus for soul-satisfying water. So the questions to keep in mind for yourself personally and for those in your huddle, just constantly be asking yourself, and you can do this numerous times throughout the day, throughout daily life, uh, ask yourself, what lies do I need to turn away from? What, what lies do I need to stop believing? That's repentance. What desires do I need to turn away from? What, what am I wanting so bad right now that is producing this uh, sinful attitude, the sinful behavior in my life? So what lies and what desires do I need to turn away from? And then on the believe side, what truth do I need to turn to? And what desire for God do I need to cultivate? So I'm not just turning away from one desire, I'm turning toward renewed desire for God, delight in Him, faith in Him. I'm not just uh, confessing or forsaking some lie that I'm believing, I need to replace it with truth from God's Word. That's repentance and faith. And it's it's incredibly simple, uh, but it's our sin and our pride that keeps us from taking these simple steps of turning away from hardness of heart and unbelief and turning to Christ. I think one of the reasons that we're often slow to do this is because we are self-righteous and we we are failing to remember or understand and apply the gospel. We get this idea in our minds that repentance is this big dramatic production. Don't make repentance a, a dramatic production. The way that you repent, whether you repent at all, indicates what you think about the gospel. If you're trusting in your own goodness, your own uh, self-righteousness, your own uh, morality, then repentance is going to be an awful experience. It's going to be miserable and humiliating but it, because it requires admitting that you have failed And so if you're trusting in yourself and not the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that's going to be uh, a bitter experience, Tim Keller says. But if you're hoping in the righteousness of Christ, then repentance is a sweet thing because you are turning away from some inferior desire and you're turning back toward Christ where your soul is satisfied. So so don't repent in self-righteous ways. One of the ways that we tend to do that is we we think repentance means beating ourselves up. So we we have to get out the sackcloth and the ashes and we have to sit there and, and wallow in that misery and, and um, kind of flagellate ourselves and uh, make sure that God knows how sorry we are, how awful we feel. And, and we think it's this period of time we have to spend you know, 24 hours or 48 hours or a week or whatever before God will accept us again. But that's a self-righteous way of repenting. If you think you have to beat yourself up before God will be uh, pleased with you, then you're not trusting in Jesus Christ who was beaten and killed for you. He died on the cross. He was already beaten. So 
by our repentance, we're not adding to the work of Christ. It's not like he was beaten and now we have to beat ourselves some more for God to forgive us. In repentance, we are just turning to Jesus who already suffered for us. If you keep that in mind, then you will avoid making repentance into this uh, big event and, and you'll be quicker to turn to Christ in repentance. So gospel repentance is about forsaking empty cisterns, returning to Jesus for living water. We should be quick and eager to do that uh, as often as we see some area of sin and unbelief in our hearts. One other thing to be aware of within our discipleship huddles, sometimes we can get overzealous about pointing out sin or searching for sin in each other. And so we want to remind one another we're not on some witch hunt when we're practicing this habit of repent and believe. Um, It's not like a game of whack-a-mole where everybody's sitting there with a a mallet ready to uh, smack the sin that we see in others. There are a few truths from Scripture that I think will will help our huddles from from growing into that kind of um, unsafe, morbidly introspective kind of place. Uh, One is Matthew 7, where Jesus says in verse 3, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So notice at the end, Jesus does talk about taking the speck out of your brother's eye, but you will be much more gentle and loving and gracious when you're helping your brother or sister take the speck out of his or her eye if you have first taken the log out of your own eye. So one way to avoid uh, turning repent and believe into kind of a -a whack-a-mole with each other is if we just start with taking the log out of our own eye first. And then bear in mind Galatians 6.1 where Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So we're called to go about this in a spirit of gentleness. And Paul says that everyone who is spiritual should be able to restore others in this way. Being spiritual means the Spirit of God is in you. So depend on the Holy Spirit for help in this. Walk in the Spirit. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness being part of the the fruit of the Spirit, along with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and and goodness. All of that should characterize our lives as we are encouraging one another to repent of sin and turn back to Jesus. Um, And then keep in mind the example of Jesus. When he confronted churches in in the, the book of Revelation, those seven churches, the seven letters to the seven churches, He starts with evidence of grace before he lists specific things he has against them. So, for example, when he addresses the church in Pergamum in Revelation 2, 13 and 14, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. And then he goes on to say, but I have a few things against you. So he starts with evidence of grace. You are holding fast to my name, even though you dwell right there in the midst of the place where Satan's throne is. Then when he addresses the church in Thyatira in um, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, likewise, he says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first but I have this against you. So Jesus sets this example where he he points out evidence of grace that he sees in those churches 
before he points out specific sin and calls them to repent. We should follow that example, pointing out evidence of grace in one another so that when we are practicing this pattern of repentance and faith, um, it's clear it, it is all gospel. It's all gospel motivated. And and that is worth bearing in mind as well, that repentance is a, an overwhelming, daunting, humiliating thing in the minds of so many people. But we recognize this as an incredibly hopeful thing. If the root of all of our problems in our thinking, in our feeling, in our living comes from hearts of unbelief, then there's hope for us. If our problems are always outside of us, other people, circumstances beyond our control, there's not necessarily any hope for us. But if it's sin in our own hearts that causes the greatest problem, causes us to respond in sinful ways to the circumstances and people around us, then we have hope because we can repent of our sin. We can repent of our unbelief. And so calling one another to repent is a gracious thing. It's it's an expression of, of the gospel because we are urging one another to turn back to Jesus in faith. So again, the point of repenting is to turn toward Christ so that every person would leave with renewed faith in Jesus. I'll end with 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, where Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That's the goal of this habit, that every week when you're meeting with your huddle, you would be reminding one another of the gospel, the gospel that everyone there has received, the gospel in which everyone there is standing, the gospel by which we are being saved. And all of that is if we hold fast to the word, unless we believed in vain. And so, so that we may not believe in vain, we regularly practice this habit of urging one another to turn to Jesus, cling to Jesus, persevere in faith until that day when he returns and we stand before him clothed in his righteousness alone. So those are the two questions to ask yourself and one another. What, what do you need to turn away from? What lies and desires do you need to forsake? And what truths and desires for God do you need to turn toward? Hey, thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at emmausroadsf.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. If you're interested in more, you can find this content in our discipleship huddle guide, which is based on the DNA guide by Saturate Resources. The music on this episode is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere and it's used under a Creative Commons license.